Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wirelive number 14, uh, talking all things machine learning with a very special guest, Adi Polak from Microsoft. Adi works in the cloud scale analytics advocacy team, uh, all things distributed systems, big data anal analytics, machine learning at scale, and has a particular focus on Apache Spark ML ecosystem as well. Adi, welcome, welcome to Wirelive. Thank you, Andy. Lovely to be here. Brilliant. So, uh, I guess we should probably start uh, thinking we're going to have lots of different people listening listening along to the session or joining us today live on YouTube um, with a bit of a general overview, I guess, on on what is machine learning. I know it's quite a broad topic, but uh, if we start start as sort of a maybe a beginner intro and then work work our way up to something a bit more complex as we go. So, um, what is machine learning to you? What's your what's your definition? I think it's a great question. Uh, so let me try and simplify it as much as I can. So the way I see it, machine learning at the end of the day, it's kind of a statistical, uh, mathematical representation of a different set of rules or a different set of patterns that we might have seen in data. And it can help us to automate some process or even drive innovations. And what is nice about it is that uh, most of the times patterns are hidden. It's really hard when I'm working with analytics as a BI, uh, business intelligence and business analyst person. Sometimes I have to use a lot of uh, personal or domain specific data expertise to extract these patterns. And machine learning is kind of like the next step for analytics. That's really cool. Yeah, I think um, what the first thing that really surprised me when I got into into data and AI and, and machine learning is how it finds its own path to the answer for you. It's kind of taken all of the the kind of questions we've proposed of, of business intelligence and things in the past and, and how how BI has been done in, in business in particular in kind of industry. And normally we have some assumptions and, and we try and to trying to prove what what the humans have decided is correct. But I think machine learning for me opens opens up the opportunity like like you're saying for for it to tell us something new and it, it brings that much much more kind of fair unbiased kind of opinion on on how to segment customers or how to how to make those recommendations in new ways that traditionally we've been kind of we've maybe had a blinkered approach as humans and we thought we thought we know the answer before we've really known the and seen the data to prove it right yeah i mean you know if you think about how people learn themselves like you, you and i how we learn we might be looking at some reading a book or looking at someone's patterns right what they did how they became you know what they are today or if they did some of or what the architecture that they built these are all patterns and we can identify if it was successful or not successful according to some you know business objectives or personal objectives so it's slightly like that it's extracting pattern out of data that sometimes it's hard to detect as, as human beings uh, that are based on statistics. That's cool. Okay, so cloud scale analytics advocacy team or, or the developer advocates, I think uh, for me, some of the, the kind of superstars of the Microsoft teams that we work with, I think obviously you, we, we know you guys go around the globe talking about the latest tech and very heavily involved in sort of building out the, the services as, as kind of an engineering team as well. Sounds like an ideal kind of role, but what, is, what does a day-to-day -day look like and, and what, what kind of does that involve, that, that role? This is a fantastic question, and I think 
every person on the team is going to have a different answer for it just because every person comes from a different background and has different skill set and i think this is what makes it such a unique team when you bring a bunch of people that has different capabilities and you make them build things together so it can be you know either a meeting with the product team looking at the roadmap thinking what the vision is what customers are struggling with it can be uh you know presenting at a conference uh giving a presentation that really helps unblock existing and potential customers. It can be a presentation that it's more beginner intro to help more people onboard into uh, into the technology or sometimes even into the field because we're seeing, especially now uh, with COVID-19, we've seen a lot of people that uh, looking for new jobs and new career paths and I personally a big believer that tech is going to grow. Uh, so if you know me as an advocate, I can help them. I can help them learn about this technology so they can create a future for themselves. Uh, so this is one of uh, one of the areas that I'm trying to invest uh, as well. So it can be giving a presentation. Uh, it can be working with the product team. It can be helping fix uh, a document or some training. Uh, it can also be building tools, so building integration tools. So it will be easier for developers to uh, integrate uh, multiple open source technologies with the SaaS services that we have on the cloud. Um, yeah, a bunch of good things. Uh, and every day is is different, really. Every day is different. Nice. I think it's a it's a really important role as well, particularly at the moment where we've got a, a bit of a disconnect between how many people know about these tools and services and are able to use them. And, and Microsoft do a, a, a great amount of work towards kind of democratizing the, the, the technology for everyone to use, open sourcing technology and the fact that you primarily work with a lot of open source technology as an employee of Microsoft maybe is unexpected if people know Microsoft from maybe 15, 20 years ago, you know, it's a lot, a lot has changed. And I think considering very few people are actively using these technologies on a global scale across kind of standard businesses, yet we've got so many people that are, that are being kind of consumers of machine learning from, from brands and things. And I think social networks is obviously as a, is a massive topic that we can get into, I suppose. So, for for people that maybe don't realize they're they're kind of you they're they're using a service that's that's being driven by machine learning have you got any examples of kind of social media and things like that 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 uh, that are leveraging that type of thing yeah uh, so we have a case study i can share the link as well uh for grab uh, so Grab is a ride-sharing company uh, that works in APAC. Uh, maybe some of you used it uh, in one of your travels. Uh, and they are expanding into food deliveries as well. And what they're trying to, not they're successfully building uh, uh, machine learning capabilities into uh, their algorithms. So. I don't know exactly or specifically how, but maybe we can think if we would to build such a platform, how we can inject it, how we can use machine learning in order to uh, grow the business and make sure we're uh, hitting these business objectives that we want to reach, like customer retention, uh, maybe cost prediction, um, and 
giving better services in terms of recommendations as well, right? So if you're using a, a food app and you want to order new food, and uh, maybe the application can learn what you're what you like and recommend you the next delivery. Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Grab I've had um, first-hand experience with as well a few years ago in in, in Singapore. If, if for anyone that's not travelled in Asia and needed a taxi, Grab is is the Uber uh, of of the Asia Pacific region really. As as much as Uber is available some parts, I think Grab is is more popular in most. And yeah, it was the only option really to to get to get a taxi in Singapore. Um, highly recommended. Really good. I think back then it was doing ride sharing better, but and but and before Uber could and. Certainly, the, it speaks to their level of innovation that they're they're working on route route calculation and recommendations to be able to do that for for drivers to know who they can pick up on the way and and the most effective way of ways of doing that because that's obviously not just standard mapping from A to B when you're starting to do sharing, which obviously machine learning plays plays a bit in. I think, yeah, I think lots of things people are people are exposed to systems and and whether that's recommendations in in retail all the way through to. So things that are maybe a, a bit more subtle than that. I think there's there's lots all around us, right? even artificial yeah. intelligence and a bit of machine learning on, on our phones these days in, in the softwares, kind of understanding what apps we might want next before we've we've opened them up. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and we're becoming reliant on it as consumers. I certainly am as someone that's quite, uh, I guess, quite aware of these things and I expect I expect better I think a few few years ago I, I often bring this example up but I think Amazon used to recommend uh, TVs to me because I bought a TV and uh, obviously I'm not a a buyer and seller of TVs I just wanted one for the living room but nowadays I think recommendations across all of retail are are being made more accurately I think and, and more transparently which is really important as well so because you bought this we're recommending this and that that kind of approach is is really nice yeah and and you know it brings me back to uh so there is an uber article that the uber engineering released uh, a couple of months ago i also shared it on on twitter a while back and they refer to their specific specifically they refer to their uh, machine learning pipeline of how they monitor the performance of the machine learning model i think it's very interesting because it shows innovation and it shows progression in the way they're building their machine learning model. So they build machine learning model to predict cost. So if I want to drive somewhere, maybe I'll pick one car versus the other type of car based on cost or, you know, maybe I'll do a different type of ride sharing. Um, and then they kind of looped it together with what exactly that person paid. So they will have better accuracy in real time and better monitoring in real time of their machine learning performance. And yeah. this is something, yeah, it's really cool. This is something that I've seen, you know, people sometimes struggle because it, it, it's not in the books, right? It's only by example. You have to try, you have to be creative. You have to think out of the box to understand how you're closing that loop of observability and monitoring. Uh, and when I saw it, I was like, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, this is how people should build their machine learning pipeline, kind of end-to-end -end, uh, for quality. Brilliant. So I, I'm, what always makes me the most excited and, and what I'm most passionate about with anything with, within the kind of data and AI space is real-world examples. And we talked about a few already. Um, so what, what gets you the most excited? Um, wow. Um, what gets me the most excited? Um, 
maybe I'll share a little bit about my journey uh, with machine learning and data. So I actually, I started uh, as a machine learning researcher. I have a master's degree uh, in machine learning and cybersecurity. I worked in the lab. Uh, I worked in, a, it was a collaboration between Deutsche Telekom and the university I studied at. Uh, so I worked there for three years, uh, and during my last year, IBM just opened uh, a new security lab, uh, and I was kind of bored into <laughs> into a new project because they liked my thesis. Um, and then I got exposed to big data because they were having big data, uh, and they wanted me to implement uh, my thesis algorithm. Uh, on their data, which required working with environments such as Hadoop. Uh, back then it was MapReduce. Uh, Map um, and I think that really showed me that the difference between doing a, a very capped research where I have full control of the data and how the data flows into my machine learning algorithm. Because uh, back then I was designing the whole end-to-end -end experiment from collecting the data from real, real sources uh, all the way to the machine learning model and testing and evaluating it versus working in an environment where the data is out of, out of my control specifically. So it was a lot of back and forward with the DevOps team and a lot of back and forward with the, um, we didn't call it data engineers back then, but now we know it's data engineers, uh, the backend engineers uh, on what we can do. Um, so I think that kind of brought me into the space of understanding that there is a bigger scope to it. Uh, and this is the area that I'm really passionate because I've seen there, I was there, I struggle with the tools um, for enough time. Uh, I found success. I, I developed my, my thesis and uh, my thesis algorithm ran in, in Java, because uh, back then <laughs> Python and all the other tools were, weren't supported enough. There wasn't enough good support uh, for the big data scale. Um, and I think this is going to be the new tools that are now emerging for researchers uh, that are actively doing research inside big corporation and need to deal with this scale of data uh, is going to really help uh, unblock and also uh, greater impact and greater uh, scale in their organization because they're going to drive better innovation. They're going to find better pattern, uh, patterns in their data. Um, they're going to close the loop as well because they would be able to have all the all the stakeholders on board and all the tools on board. So I think this is specifically one area that I'm very passionate about. Nice, that's cool. I really like that. It really resonates well. And I think, yeah, the fact that you've experienced the pain points that you now are helping people address and you've kind of been in their position, I think it makes it makes it a lot easier to kind of convey that with like a, a greater understanding and maybe more of a, a kind of see things from the customer's perspective, um, which is always really key. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more about Apache Spark. I'm conscious that we've got varying levels of kind of technical ability watching and, and following along today, but um, what does Apache Spark ML library bring that wasn't there before or what, what are the differences with using something like that? 
This is a great question. Maybe I'll start with uh, what is what is Apache Spark <laughs> at all? Yeah, uh, probably best place yeah. to start. Yeah. Uh, so it's a general engine for running uh, big data analytics. Uh, so it started in Stanford University uh, by Matei Zakaria. Uh, it was his research, his PhD, did a PhD on distributed systems, uh, and he developed that tool that enables you to do faster uh, MapReduce processing uh, that that is uh, has more capabilities and abstracts a lot of the complexities of distributed systems. Uh, so it's a great tool for analytics. It's a generic tool, so we can use it for machine learning. We can also use it for basics analytics that we want to work with, or just build a what we call data pipeline or an ATL to transform the data from one state to the other. So it gives us a lot of capabilities, specifically the machine learning part. This is a library that it's still uh, growing. Uh, so it has a lot of kind of pros and cons and you need to be conscious about what you're using. Uh, but they're implementing uh, the distributed machine learning because the whole engine itself is distributed. So they were baking in and using a lot of, uh, because it's based on statistics, a lot of statistic into building giving people APIs out of the box to run their machine learning at scale. Uh, so I think it's it's interesting to see that tool. It's really interesting to see how it's going to grow uh, with the years uh, and how it's going to connect better to other tools as well. Uh, for example, we've seen uh, TensorFlow, right? So we have uh, TensorFlow on Spark, a uh, project tool for people that want to do TensorFlow Spark. We've seen uh, TensorFrames, which is an API directly on Spark uh, that the community created. Uh, and we're seeing it grow more and more into that kind of collaboration in between these two spaces. And the reason for it is because there is a need for deep learning technology as well. Some of the algorithms inside Apache Spark ML has, uh, they are based on, on deep learning, but it's not, they're not covering everything yet. So this collaboration and this ecosystem that builds up uh, gives more tools to developer, to data scientists and developers, uh, and also make it a more cohesive conversation between the data engineers that most of them today already work with tools such as Apache Spark and the data scientists. So I think it's uh, it's growing uh, and it's going to be a very interesting tool for data science to, to use. Brilliant. So for, for anyone that doesn't already appreciate it, uh, Spark is, is completely open source as well. So it's not Microsoft's intellectual property that they're they're writing and 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 selling as their own, but they are heavily involved in in something that's yeah completely open source, community community built, and yeah the what Addy's talking about is is that is that collaboration with that open source community, which is it's fantastic to to see for, from my perspective. Um, I've got a question, yeah. so if you're if you're following on live, do pop some questions in the chat and into the comments on YouTube. Annabelle has asked, uh, what do you think? the most promising thing about machine learning is and its influence is already significant but do you think it's likely to become more significant this is a great question um so a couple of things 
what the blockers that we've seen with machine learning. I think this is kind of the topic that we should address first. Uh, so what happened in the industry, uh, at least from my opinion, <laughs> and you know, Andy, I know I know you've seen a lot too, so so you can share as well. Um, a lot of companies seeing the hype around machine learning and what it can do for the business and how it can help drive innovation and drive business growth, right? So a lot of the uh, executives said, hey, I need a new a data scientist. So they start hiring data scientists, but they didn't provide them with the tools. The data scientists would come to the organization, sit in their chair, nice office, you know, uh, or working from home, and they would ask, where's my data? Where are my tools? How can I work? Am I going to run it on my laptop? Do I need to go somewhere and find data? How do I get started? And this is when we've seen it a little bit now going through a transformation in, in the essence of how we can prioritize this, how can companies prioritize this as organizations in order to drive that innovation. So we're not drifting away from machine learning. Machine learning is still the focus uh, and machine learning also helps with being data driven because you can extract patterns, etc. Uh, but we're understanding, companies are now understanding that they need better tools, they need bigger teams, they need someone that A, executive that sponsored that process inside the organization, and B, finding the team that's going to build these pipelines. Uh, so you can think about like water flows and the pipes in order for the machine learning experts, practitioners, data scientists to do their job when building model. And also like we talked about a little bit earlier is closing the loop. So they will know what's happening in production with their machine learning. So if they need to deploy a new machine learning, they would have this process already automated. So the way I see it, some of the tools already exist. Some of the tools are a requirement <laughs> and I think kind of an opportunity uh, for a lot of people who wants to build those tools. Um, but I think it's going to grow and it's going to be more heavily used and Andy, maybe you can share maybe even more heavily regulated uh, what do you think yeah definitely i think that's a really good point so in terms of what's what's promising about the near future i think is allowing businesses to catch up with the with the technology so that there's so much advancement that's gone on in in the last maybe five five ten years and businesses now need to maybe take a step back and sort out their data estate and, and sort out the, the culture of their business before they can actually just deploy HD Insight and, and start using Apache Spark. So I think, yeah, it's a, there's, a, there's an element there of making sure the data is in a reliable enough position to start feeding it into something that, that's making recommendations for you or something like that. That's, that's, that's a huge, hugely important thing to tackle that. We we do a lot of work on, on data strategy here at Wirehive and that's often the, the first hurdle, whether you're doing, whether you're just trying to get to, to some business intelligence improvements or you're looking to go that next step into machine learning. I think sometimes tackling it in that in that kind of logical order is a, is a great stepping stone. So sorting out the data and how the company manages data, and that's not just cleansing your, your SQL database, that's, that's really understanding what third parties you work with and do you do you govern what access you get to the raw data if you're working with SaaS tools and online services and things like that all the way through to okay well where do we store this data so we can make sure that we're handling it in the best way possible to to allow 
future experimentation in ways that we haven't discovered yet to, to really come in and adapt to that data nicely. Uh, and then once it's there, it's it's doing the business intelligence, it's using human intelligence to, to kind of get insights from that data and then start to pose questions of, of what if we just knew about this or we're understanding the value really. So I think where, the, where there's friction, where there's challenges for businesses, it's a, it's a huge opportunity to apply some tried and tested and very mature machine learning systems out there. Uh, applying those to friction and, and challenges is ultimately where businesses are going to get the most value. So from a business perspective, I think it's it's understanding that yeah you can you can have your sort of horizons kind of wide open with all these amazing tools, but it's understanding what you need to do and taking the steps to to get yourself there is for me one of the most exciting things. I guess some for some people that's they just want to get to the end and it's maybe the boring part is sorting out the data. But I think that's it's like the the foundations to the house. Nobody really shares pictures of their foundations they, they share the pictures of the, the the house being built or the extension that's been done right but but the foundations are so important and yeah the doing it well really opens up huge opportunities we don't know what's what services are going to be out there in two years time but if we if we do the data in the in the best way possible we design that architecture for the data so we've got a copy of all the raw data we've ever had then if something comes along new and we have to rebuild all of the the machine learning or the the business intelligence practices we can go back and we've still got some data there that we can start again, things like that. Lots of lots of principles that come into it. But yeah, it's uh, certainly what gets me excited. And I think the the rate of change, like you said it yourself, where you've can't be can't have been long ago you were working and didn't have the tools that you needed and didn't have data engineers and things are changing so quickly. I think it's uh it's keeping up with that or at least doing things the right way to allow us to to adapt with with the kind of the pace of the change. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, I, I really like your analogy of building a house when you have the foundation and, you know, at the end, everyone takes pictures of the house and they're proud of how the house looks like. But, you know, you have to have the foundations, otherwise it's not going to work. Right. Um, so I really love that. I'm curious when you uh, specify data strategy, are you looking into the organization structure or specifically the technologies? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's way more than technology. So we, we talk around people, process and technology, like like most kind of strategic kind of consultants would come in and talk about those. That's, that's fairly obvious, but I think it goes all the way through to, to, the, to the culture and core core strategy of the business and, and aligning the the business strategy with a technology strategy or a data strategy that helps achieve the goals. So there's there's even a I'll bring up a little background. So we talk around jellyfish. I'm totally derailing this, but they yeah. So hopefully this is within within context. So we talk around uh, be more jellyfish. This concept of having a business business data that's so reliable, that's so well prepared and trustworthy and validated that you can almost act like jellyfish as, as employees of that business. So it's democratized and uh, jellyfish, if, if there's any jellyfish watching or listening along, jellyfish don't have brains and that, that's a fact. So we're not trying to offend anyone. That's they just they just instinctively react to what's what's going on around them. So their bodies change without any kind of brain getting in the way and trying to make decisions. It's all instinctive. And I think we talk around, can you get your data estate as a, as a business into a place where you can be more jellyfish. You can you can trust that data instinctively and, and react to it. 
And then there's another concept because I love the kind of parallels with the animal kingdom uh, is is be more dolphin. So to- again, totally hijacking this. Um, but be more dolphin is a, ki- is a concept where dolphins work in pods and they have this incredible hunting mechanics and they have the the echolocation sensory information. If, if we consider that to be the for this analogy, the data. So the data is the the signals from their echolocation. All of the dolphins have that echolocation system. It's not there's one emperor dolphin and he or she has the has the tools and then tells people where to go and where to go and hunt. And I think yet yeah, they still work in pods. So I think the really key thing there is understanding democratizing the data, making those insights, whether they're just BI or maybe they're machine learning insights, making that available to the entire business as a culture, uh, getting your team working like intelligent dolphins that all have the the tools and the equipment to do their job the best they can is, is really where um, we see the best results. And yeah, it's absolutely a culture thing as well as a, as a kind of a technology thing. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get to know that about dolphins. I know they had sonar abilities and kind of how they map the ocean. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Awesome. I've got a few, few data books behind me, but at least two of them are books on the animal kingdom facts and, and features where I've tried to find even more kind of parallels and, and sort of insights into, into data use within the animal kingdom. But yeah, if you, if you can think of any more, let me, let me know after the session. Okay. <laughs> we'll do. So, we'll do. Um, speaking of books, uh, you're, you're working on a book I hear next couple of months, potentially. Um, so what, what, what's the book and, and what's it about? Yes. Uh, so it's going to be about uh, machine learning with Apache Spark ecosystem. So we touched it a little bit. Uh, it's about how you can design and build your system with different tools that connects with Apache Spark. So working on big data and having uh, a distributed machine learning running on top of uh, on top of, up on top of large scale of data. Uh, and it's really interesting because TensorFlow and also PyTorch and all those loved you know very loved libraries and open source tools have uh, distributed strategies. So how they can run their machine learning training in a distributed manner or how they can serve it in a, uh, to support uh, large scale serving when you have a lot of requests and you need to uh, answer uh, or to provide insights uh, into a lot of requests. So um, yeah, it will take a couple of months uh, to be in uh, in public preview. It's usually you get the kind of a, uh, it's from O'Reilly, you get a baby bird <laughs> before you get the animal. Um, but you know, once I have the animal, I'm going to go back to you, Andy, and ask you, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> Definitely. Behind the animal. <laughs> I can't, can't wait to see it. I think that's fascinating. And uh, yeah, me personally, I have not had a massive, massive kind of hands-on with with like Spark in particular yet. So it certainly inspired me to to take a closer look, especially with the machine learning machine learning libraries built into it as well, and the the TensorFlow integration and API. That's pretty interesting to kind of do all that in in, in kind of one package or one one framework. So that's cool. Okay. Um, so yeah. Any more questions? Do far and then we've got a little bit more time left. Um, so I guess, what do you think around, without getting too deep into it, what can anyone talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence can always kind of lean on the kind of the fear side of things. There's 
for me, I think there's lots of scaremongering in the press. But um, what can typically go wrong with machine learning done in this context of business use of, of this kind of artificial intelligence? Um, I think money goes to waste if you don't put the infrastructure first correctly. You might be hiring, you know, people with many years of experience and build a data science team, but you're not giving them the right tools, then we will see, you know, thinking, wearing the hat of an executive, the ROI is kind of goes very low. So you would either close the project or say machine learning is not for me, it failed me without giving it a good, you know, a good start. Uh, so I, this is what I think is uh, might be uh, an issue for some companies is like they say, yeah, we tried it, it didn't work, we hired the best data scientist that money can buy, right? Um, so I really think that's uh, changing of the mindset and the culture um, first in making sure the stakeholders are there, the tools are there, going to make it a success. Uh, it can, it, you know, it can make it or break it. So if you don't have it, it will be very hard for the data scientist to to deliver and bring it back to the organization. Nice, I, I I agree. I think the fact you didn't even talk about terminators and how how it's ridiculous to to worry about these things kind of really sets sets the point there. I think so. Anyone anyone that hasn't had the experience or hasn't come to come along to one of my talks, I have to put a terminator slide in just to say, look, we're not here to talk about the this kind of sentient intelligence that. Some people sort of associate with artificial intelligence, and certainly the press and lots, lots of coverage out there makes it sort of scary in terms of the what, what's possible on on that scale. I think when we're working with maybe narrowly focused AI and machine learning, just to just to essentially run, not to demystify it too much and simple oversimplify it, but essentially we're we're doing calculations and and advanced very very advanced calculus mathematics often with with the algorithms. But that that's pretty much it. So it's it's as safe to a business as using a calculator, a, a very very scientific one, of course. It's not going to take over your business or run it into the ground and do do things you don't want it to do. It's just going to give you much better insights with a massive amount of data that is not feasible for humans to kind of make those calculations that quickly or that that accurately. Um, but yeah, often the worst the worst to happen from a project like this is money money has been wasted because. It, it was maybe set up the incorrect way. It was discovered badly, or or not done in a way that that maybe understands that there's ultimate value there in, in investing in to to get that value back. So I think focusing on focusing on the ROI and custom, again customer challenges and and kind of the frictions there of the businesses we work with really ensures that we don't start doing a very expensive machine learning project on something that that isn't actually adding any value to their business. This is essentially just, just a bit of a fun project to do. I think that's that's really key to, to understand. Um, okay, so thinking about the, the maybe the future of, of machine learning, I think from, we, we talked around that there's been some a massive advancements, really quick growth and, and uh, an adoption has to kind of catch up a little bit. But do, do you think the technology uh, kind of has plateaued or is looking to plateau or are we still going to keep growing at the same rate despite kind of despite how amazing it's got to at this stage is that slowing down do you think or, or where do you see the, the kind of future of machine learning good question um i'm thinking we'll see more supporting tools 
for it because people are by now understand many companies and people are understanding that they need to support the process, not only develop the machine learning model and implement the algorithm, but also support the overall process. So monitoring, observability, um, versioning, all of that. Uh, so that that's that's the first thing. Second thing, we'll see it grows. Once we have the tools, we'll see it grows more into the space of uh, uh, distributed machine learning and extracting patterns out of big data. Um, and which was a challenge because uh, there wasn't a lot of tools. Some of it was some somewhat restricted. The data wasn't available, etc. Uh, and I think uh, we will see a lot of uh, uh, SAS or machine learning serverless solutions coming up to support big data as well. Uh, just because the infrastructure, you know, might be a little bit more complex for the DevOps or, you know, requires some expertise that can be um, kind of replicated in a managed service. Uh, so I think we might see more of that as well. Um, in maybe the startup ecosystem or maybe even in the cloud. Uh, and I think there's a lot of opportunities because there are a lot of challenges and we always kind of say when there's a challenge, there's an opportunity uh, for everyone who wants to kind of uh, learn about that topic and maybe build that SaaS solution. Um, so yeah. That's good to know. I think the more kind of SaaS and the more, the more the work that that's being put into it and kind of managed for you. I think a great example of that is the cognitive services. So machine learning algorithms that are pre-packaged, pre-built and, and maintained by Microsoft and available as, as APIs to, to simply add into any kind of existing or, or new new software that's that's out there. Um, for me, they're, they're some of the most exciting things to talk about with customers because it really opens the eyes of the kind of amazing, life-changing in some cases experiences that you can, you can add and you don't even need to, to worry about the kind of the DevOps side or the, the machine learning maintenance yourself. But yeah, if we if we can simplify the not even take it all the way to the cognitive services kind of serverless example, but there's there's some middle ground there, I think, which would be really nice if, if there can be some improvements to, to do that. Yeah, I think it divides into when we're looking at the machine learning world and it's great that you mentioned it, we can kind of divide it into two. Uh, pre-build models that we can utilize and start working with that big companies are producing. And then tailor-made models that we want to create specifically for our business case. We're very specific, very unique business case. Uh, and the two interlap, so we can use them together, right? So we can use cognitive services to extract some information out of unstructured data, for example, and then use that data to fit it into our machine learning algorithm to extract a specific machine learning model. Um, like a very tailor-made machine learning model that we need. So I think it's a very good point, you know, it's, uh, and we'll see the, them both grows, uh, grow together, uh, especially in the space where uh, you can find kind of a generic requirements for machine learning, like identifying face or uh, uh, kind of uh, transferring sound into audio, into text, et cetera. Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, there's there's more and more, and it, it's frightening how how quickly the even the cognitive services are being updated with with new new features and and other tools in that area. Things like the custom neural voice. Have you have you seen that? Have you experienced that at all? 
Yes, I did. It's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's so if, if anyone's interested, this is a, a speech to text or text to text to speech um, tool that is completely different to anything you've ever seen before that it in the same way that kind of I'm going to set, set Alexa off in everyone's living in the same way that Alexa has that kind of quite a natural tone consistent really really decent voice font across everything that Alexa is saying on, on Amazon devices I think you, you any brand out there now has the opportunity to, to build their own personalized voice that can be the kind of the face of their brand for any kind of text uh, text into speech and the results are staggeringly good i think it's uh it's into it's out of preview now and it's available in, in kind of the public it's out of the private preview at least and um yeah there's there's some demos on on the microsoft azure site uh i think joe the australian one is my favorite so have, have a listen to that after after the session um it is yeah it, they've got a clip of the original person that, that narrated the the text and then the the output of the the, the custom neural voice which is Yes, so good. I think you it's very difficult to tell which one which one is the human talking. So just something like that that's that's already been solved. You don't need to to delve in and start writing your own machine learning to do something like that. And I think it's a really nice point of enriching what you're trying to do and not reinventing the wheel with something that's already been done. If if you need to use text to speech as part of something that you're building from scratch. Don't write your own text-to-speech engine. You use the custom neural voice. If you need to, to do some face detection, lean on lean on the face API, something like that. And then anything bespoke is where where things get really exciting with with Spark and Databricks and 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 various services out there that you can you can play with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, what's uh, Maybe going back to the the real world examples because that's that's my favorite thing. What's what's maybe the most exciting thing you've you've been able to to work with, or, or things that you can talk about? Obviously, I'm conscious when we have Microsoft guests, there's always there's, there's the really exciting projects you you can't talk about. I expect, um, but I think yeah, I've got one that I think some some great examples. If you want to talk more generally, obviously around the maybe the AI for Earth. But if you have one other than that, or feel free to pick pick some of the AI for Earth stuff uh, out and talk us through. Some more real-world examples would be great. Um, let's go. Let's go with the AI for Earth. Uh, what did you see there that kind of uh, captured your attention? So I, just before lockdown, we run we ran a data and AI workshop and envisioning session at the Warhive offices, and we've run various ones at kind of Paddington Microsoft headquarters as well. And uh, yeah, we had someone that came along that was already working with uh trying to track a pod of dolphins in the in the north sea off the off the shores of the uk and they saw my slides on ai for earth and how people out there are trying to do um sort of individual animal recognition from from sort of fins that are breaching the surface and then things like that and yeah the fact that someone else has already kind of done the machine learning to help with that and there's already a project that of course is open source that's course is very collaborative a charitable project um they were able to get in touch and kind of obviously work work with them on that so bringing bringing people together for for sort of similar causes and, and obviously a, an amazing kind of purpose it is really something that i've seen with with the ai for earth that's that's quite special i think understanding obviously that tracking a pod of dolphins the, the important thing to understand there is that you can infer 
the kind of the ecosystem and the marine marine habitat for the rest of the the agriculture in that area and and obviously the rest of the marine life expanded kind of on a global scale you can infer kind of changes and what's happening there which is a really important topic and ai for good is is something that makes makes me really happy it's something i'm really passionate about obviously yeah same here um, one of the projects that i've seen was uh, with the white leopard but you can identify them and because it's very hard to find white leopard just because of their colors, uh, their colors in nature, but you still want to make sure they're not an extincted kind or treat them in a way that uh, people will protect them. Um, so I think it was one of the exciting projects that I've seen. Um, and I think this is going to grow in that space, especially now when Microsoft is invested into, uh, heavily invested in, in green. Uh, so reducing C uh, CO2, um, developing green greener technology, uh, rethinking about how we do processes and maybe run our VMs and machines are going to uh, really help in that space. Um, so I think machine learning is going to play uh, a big role there as well. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, more tools and more kind of uh, opportunities for machine learning to do good uh, for the world. Um, so, yeah, it's all start with detecting patterns. I mean, if you can detect the patterns and improve them and have them better uh, and reach the same uh, kind of, uh, of business objectives, that's all good. Yeah, this, the Snow Leopard one is a great example because that was, that was even on primetime TV advertising here in the UK, which is for anything that's that's about AI machine learning, that's that's extremely rare for it to just be shown off as we are Microsoft and here's some cool things that you can do with artificial intelligence and this is how we're changing the world and uh, making the world a better place. Um, I think that's absolutely fascinating to see uh, that that advert and yeah, obviously the, the Snow Leopard one is is a great example because yeah, sifting through images taking every five seconds on a webcam as humans. That's a lot of resource you would need to do that and it's not the most effective way obviously of seeing them but yeah it makes makes things that pre previously just weren't feasible to do possible and that that that's what really exciting for me the the best uh best case study or the best example for me currently is premonition uh mm. where if you if you google premonition maybe three three or five years ago there's a picture of a human with a with a net trying to catch mosquitoes so they can do the analysis and things have changed a little bit so in the last year you've now got a collaboration with with some advanced engineering teams to to build these they look like sort of smart speakers or sonos speakers kind of thing but they they obviously these mosquito or, or pathogen sort of tracking and testing devices that can capture i think somewhere between 10 to 15000 mosquitoes per night uh, which then the data is then analyzed and, and sent up to the cloud. The mosquitoes are unharmed and they're, they're set, set off free to go and roam around and, and bug people on their holidays or whatever they normally do, mosquitoes. And the, the data in the cloud and, and all, this, all this technology we're talking about, you know, more of a technical level, how quickly it's evolving and the things you can do. The real world, what that means is that these tens or 15,000 mosquito samples that per device around the world can be sampled and analyzed against something like three trillion different um, genomic sequences to identify animal DNA that's in the mosquito's blood that it's been extracting from its from its environment, which means 
yeah, we can we can understand that that mosquito took blood from a cow. That cow had a particular disease that is spreading in that kind of that species, and that potentially we can stop outbreaks and pandemics from happening once these types of services are rolled out globally, which I think is obviously very fitting at the moment. And yeah, had this uh, coronavirus pandemic happened, maybe a a few years in the future, something like that might have been able to kind of might have been able to stop it or give us early warnings to stop things getting so bad across the world so yeah it's really interesting uh i'll look into that project though now it's uh <laughs> now i'm curious to see what they're building and how uh, how it's evolved uh, so thank you thank you for mentioning it um, yeah it's fascinating and obviously very very relevant at the moment <laughs> Yes, very much so. I think when the pandemic started, one of the uh, one of the things data scientists worked on in the community, everyone from every companies, uh, they collaborated, created a, a place where uh, research articles are shared uh, and data is shared and kind of work together to uh, find solutions. Um, and I think this is a great power that we have as a community when we come together to to do good. Uh, restaurant completely agree what a fantastic kind of point to, to end it on again my my personal favorite part is is the real world examples and, and how the technology kind of can completely change the world around us for for good so yeah fantastic uh, fantastic topic obviously very vague being machine learning but i think we've got some great real world examples in there a bit of tech but a bit of something for everyone really um addy thanks for joining us it's, you've been a fantastic guest and uh, no 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 doubt we'll be checking out the book in a few months once that's once that's ready. And uh, yeah, stay in touch, and we'll, we'll no doubt we'll have to have to share projects that we've been working on, and uh, yeah, all of that, all that good stuff in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Andy, for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, and everyone that's watching, uh, always feel free to connect for any technical question regarding machine learning and big data in that space. I'm trying to answer all the technical questions. Uh, so if you're blocked or you need help feel free to reach out. Brilliant. Is the best way to do that LinkedIn and Twitter or? Uh, so Twitter, I'm mostly active on Twitter these days. Uh, if you send it on LinkedIn, it might take longer for me to respond, but uh, I'll look into it as well. Brilliant. Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us uh, either live on YouTube or watching this back afterwards or listening in. Um, it's been an absolutely brilliant session and uh, yeah, catch us in a, next time. Uh, I think the next one might be on AWS cost optimization with my colleague Rob Harding. So uh, don't miss that one. It's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, see you all soon. Thanks. Bye.